episode of the Provoking the Conversation podcast. Again, you know I am. It's Sean. Uh, got a good one for you, for you guys today. So to end International Women's Month. Now, when this is going to be released, it's actually going to be April second. So International Women's Month is going to be over, but we're going to take it over a couple of days. We're going to go a couple of days over because this is a special interview. Um, so I'm actually on the show today. You're going to hear an interview between me and a friend of mine. Her name is Selena. Selena is an education, um, excuse me, I should say educator. She's also um, a dance instructor. And we're going to hear some interesting perspectives about, you know, how she feels about education, dance. And also she went through a um, little bit of a traumatic experience. She experienced COVID. She experienced a hip surgery that put her out of commission for a year. And I think this is a really good interview just to highlight some of the things of um, a, a struggle that some of our teachers go through and a struggle go through some things that people who've been through major surgeries or been through things with their bodies and how that happens. And, you know, hearing those things really, really, um, you know, put things in perspective. Also, there are going to be some major, major gems for some of you younger ladies who may listen to the podcast or some of you that may want to give a piece of advice to a younger lady um selena says a lot of great things here just advice to younger women that i think that could be really reasonable because again this month international women's month is about empowering women but in order to empower women we got to empower girls too so selena gives us basically a, a few things to take away from this interview um that will empower women for the future and moving forward because this can't be the only month we really talk about these things got to be other months and i know you guys are kind of tired of just hearing my voice so i decided to bring someone on so again guys enjoy thanks for listening all right so for all my listeners i would like to welcome selena to the podcast she is um actually someone i went to school with and stayed connected with and she's gonna you're gonna learn more about her she's here to basically bring I've been talking about for a while. I need uh, another female voice here because it's just me talking for hours and hours. And I'm like, oh, Sean don't know Jack. So here I am trying to diversitize uh, my podcast here. Um, so since it's been, just to start out with, since it's been a long time since me and you've actually communicated verbally and you know we went to school together and things like that. Can you tell me a little bit about your journey from when you know you left Seton Hill um, to right now. So how did you get where you are right now? What do you do right now? Just tell me a little okay. bit about uh, your journey. Yeah. There. So, um, like I went, like you said, we went to Seton Hill together. I graduated. Um, I went on to teach at a gymnastics and dance facility in Cranberry. And I love that. Um, I found out in junior year of college that I had hip dysplasia, so I had to get surgery. So I was trying to put that off and like, pretend like it wasn't happening and then I ended up having to get the surgery I was like down for a year and then I got back into work and now I work as a toddler teacher at a daycare facility that we just opened and then I also work at two dance studios so and then uh next year which this is like pretty exciting I'm going to be a uh, studio manager for the one facility that um it's in Crafton so I'm excited about that wow Crafton that's actually right around the corner from me where I'm at right now yeah I'm right in Sheridan so you'll be right okay so it seems like you've been busy um talk to me a little bit about the experience with the you said hip displacement surgery because um 
we're actually um we're, we're surgery twins we're not twins we're more cousins because i actually had um when i was a kid i had open heart surgery so i i was a little bit young to remember but i also remember the post-surgery the recovery and some of the things that come along with that um mentally and things like that so talk about that experience a little bit it was it was very rough <laughs> but uh so i found out my junior year of college um that I had hip dysplasia because I tore my labrum. I was in dance rehearsal and I was like parallel turned out when I did that. This is kind of gross. It's kind of graphic, but my labrum got stuck on my hip socket. And then when I rotated, it ripped it, it tore. So oh, it was very painful. I didn't really think anything of it because it was just like, oh, maybe I just like pulled something, whatever. So then I ended up going to like physical therapy. They took MRIs, all that good stuff. They were like, oh yeah, you've torn labor. I'm only take like four months to recover. I'm like, cool, I'll wait until summer break. And then they came back. They're like, yeah, actually you have to get hip reconstruction surgery. You don't have a hip socket. And I was like, what? I was like, well, how long is that? They're like a year. I was like, well, I'm not wait. I, I can't do it. I'll wait until after I graduate because I was on like um, a VA benefits through my stepdad. So like I couldn't pause it because then I wouldn't be able to afford it. Seeing Hill's kind of expensive, you know? So, uh, so then like at that moment, like everyone used to always say, like, you should always have a backup plan. And I never believed them. I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good. But like things do happen. So like I picked up a business minor because I was like, I'm interested in that. I did that. Graduated. My hip felt okay. So I can't, like I kept working, but then it got to a point where it was affecting just my normal life. Like I couldn't even like walk a distance without it being in pain or I couldn't like squat down time my shoes that was painful like just like normal things so I did get that and I ironically had to get it done at children's hospital so I'm like this 23 year old you know woman at children's hospital <laughs> getting hip surgery so it was a little awkward yeah it was a real big kid um my surgery I think was like eight hours or something like that. I had to get it done there. If I didn't get it done there, I'd have to go to Ohio to get it because it was a very specialized surgery. Um, my surgeon had only done 10 surgeries of it. And I'm like, well, what's the recovery rate? He's like, oh, you know, 70%. Seven of them were fine. The other three, a complication. I'm like, so 70%? What? Yeah. So I was like, oh gosh, this is horrible. I'm like, scared. So then I did that. And then I was bedridden for six weeks. And as like a very active person and stuff like that, like that was very detrimental because I atrophied and everything wasn't allowed to walk anything. Like I had to stay in my bed for two months. Um, so it was a very difficult process. I mean, I definitely grew from it and stuff like that. My hips all better now. I got some pretty, I got a gnarly, nice scar. I got some, yeah, I got, got screws in my hip, you know, pretty cool. Like I'm like, yeah, I got a robo hip. So I tell my little kids, I'm like, yeah, you know, Miss Lena's a robotic hip. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, part robot. <laughs> what? Yeah. She's part robot. That's all. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah. So like, I mean, yeah, it definitely was a challenge. It was, I was definitely rough. I mean, for me, and I'm a very independent person. So like having to depend on my family to do everything for me, that was challenging as itself. And then getting back into like the workforce, like, mm you haven't worked for a year if you explain like, Oh, well, I had surgery, you know, it's kind of awkward. I'm telling you my personal life, but I have to explain it. So you don't think I'm just like a bum out mm. here not working. <laughs> so right. yeah. Uh-huh. So yeah, that was like, it was pretty crazy, but I mean, I'm all good. They wanted to do my left hip and I said, no, <laughs> I said, no. 
<laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good. But yeah. But so, no, one hit, one hip is enough. That's a crazy experience just to just listen to. I'm, I'm again, my experience wasn't as crazy, but just that's, and the part that really resonated was that going from being an active, per, active person, because I'm a former athlete and I know where people who do dance and things like that. You kind of get in a groove. You're a certain type of person where you're just used to moving mm-hmm. and then the not having to move for two months. It's like, bro, it's, it, it's almost like gut wrenching. And then it's also like you have to kind of change your mental state too, because you're so used to doing things a certain way and being able, and you talked about being independent and being independent, um, just having to go through that. So that's a, that's a crazy experience. Let, let me ask you this one follow-up question. What do you think, if you could give people one reason how you made it through that tough time, what, what do you think it was? Um, I would say that it was definitely the support of my friends. Um, a few of my friends like came and visited me and they brought me like gift baskets, like get well, stuff like that. And honestly, like it was, that was very helpful because it just showed me that people care about me. They're thinking of me and stuff like that. Um, and I just try to keep, like, keep myself busy. I also mm-hmm. was like, if I sleep a lot, this will go faster. So I just, I slept a lot to make the time go fast. Try to get all those naps back when we was kids. Like, oh, I can get them back now. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Like, let me just recover now. I'm going to get all these, these, you know, missing hours from shoe mm-hmm. back from me, you know, okay. uh, being a student and stuff. Wow. So, yeah, definitely friends and Friends are definitely an undermined thing that sometimes um, in life we don't realize how valuable people are in our lives until times of turmoil. And we don't understand how much people actually care about us until like something. And you realize who your mm-hmm. real friends are um, at that point. I, I think that's that's pretty amazing to know that you have friends because everybody don't have friends like that. You know, people sometimes we have a lot of associates or a lot of people that just they kind of just come around here or there. But those people who came who came to see you where you couldn't do anything like you can't go to the bar, you, you can't go see them, you can't do anything fun. It's like, no, I'm just here because I feel like you could benefit from me being here and I'm trying to support you. You know, that's something that's to me is worth more than gold, um, having people behind you. Hey, okay, uh, so I think that was a good story, but I also had, a, I had another question for you to kind of start our conversation. So when usually when I interview people, I call them conversation starters. They're usually, they could be controversial topics. Uh, they could be questions that are a little bit more deep and insightful. Um, so the one I had for your conversation starter is that since it's International Women's Month, I would want you to give what are three things that you would tell you know younger women of today, and I'm talking maybe 18, 19, or just any woman of today, because as I learned a lot this month in highlighting and reading up and trying to educate myself that women go through a lot of things men do not have to go through. I mean, I knew that already, but just things with like equal pay. Um, there was a post by one of my friends where she made an Instagram story where she talked about, I was followed for four blocks by this guy I didn't know. He thought I didn't notice. and you know, she felt this impending fear just for him to turn off the other way. She don't know if he was actually following her or if he was just walking the same direction, but they walk around with that fear. Um, and that, that kind of resonated with me because again, me being an African-American, we'll kind of get to Black Lives Matter and things like that. Um, I walked mm-hmm. around with a fear in a certain area, like, uh, is this person following me around the store? Am I supposed to be here? So I kind of get that. I can only relate to a certain level. So again, what, what would be three things you, you know, 
you would tell younger women today just to kind of keep in mind and maybe to help them along their journey? I would say definitely to pursue your goals and pursue what you want to do before you even worry about anybody else. So like for me, when I was raised, like, you know, it was supposed to be get married, have kids. And I was like, "Eh, no, like I have a lot of things I want to do before I do that stuff. And like, you know, families were like, oh, are you dating someone? Are you single? Are you are you going to get married soon? But when am I going to have grandkids? I'm like, oh, uh, how about you ask me when I'm open my own business? When are you going to ask? You know what I mean? Like, and for me, I would just say, like, you know, do what you need to do to feel like you are fulfilled in your life first and then worry about everybody else second. Um, another thing I would, second thing would be just keep your peace. Um, I've really tried to zone into that this like few years, like just let go. Don't be afraid to let go of things. Mm-hmm. If it's not bringing you anything um, positive in your life, let it go. If it's not helping you keep your peace, regardless, whatever, don't worry about how they feel. You got to keep yourself good. You got to make sure you're okay. Mm -hmm. And my third thing would be like, uh, don't let anybody, don't let anybody tell you that you can't do something because it's not a normal womanly thing. Like I'm very like, I like to break boundaries and stuff like that. Like, I'm just like, uh, I'm gonna do me. I'm a Leo. I'm not believe in astrology, but I'm a Leo. I'm gonna do whatever I want. You can't oh, tell me anything. Leos. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just how I feel. Like, don't let them tell you you can't do anything. Because, like, for me, once I would say I can't do something, I'm like, all right, bet. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. Yeah. So I would tell them, like, you know, if someone tells you you can't do something, prove them wrong. Prove them you can, and do it ten times better than they thought you were even gonna do it. So that would just be my like top three things to tell younger women I, th- I think those are important because I, I think we don't tell you know women enough that like look you could do ev- anything you want you know sometimes we like to put people in boxes mm-hmm. based on their gender things like that um the, the first one that you mentioned about just doing you know doing it for yourself and maybe not focusing on you know having kids or getting married you know that's really big especially for like women in their 20s because I've actually been in rooms where parents and relatives have like drilled a woman like when are you gonna get a man and get married and settle down and and things like that again putting them in that box and I'm just like you know people need to live the lives that they want to live um this is something that you know was really expressed to me as a male I don't know if every male gets expressed it but my dad was like look just build what you want to build and that person will come along if it's meant for you but for some reason that conversation shifts when we talk to females at least from what I hear, and and I don't understand why. Maybe because we're still hanging on to old standards of women sometimes that they're just, you know, meant to get married and have kids. Um, but I, I just think that's really important um, because what I think what people don't realize is that if you take the time, especially if you're a woman, at least for, from my point of view, and you build the life you want to live, you'll get the partner or the man that you want as well because Anybody, any other man, and this is just a tip for all my women out there, any other man that sees that you're doing you and you have your business or, or you're successful, whatever the case may be, those, those guys that are not worthy of that space won't enter. Mm-hmm. It. It's like, oh, wait, I'm not going to, you know, they're not going to enter it or they're going to feel it as soon as they enter your space or try to talk to you. Like, ah, I'm probably not going to last long here. They're going to they're gonna be able to realize that. 
you know, there's the whole saying that um, you attract what you are. Um, and that's part of it. Uh, and that's a big part of it. So thank you for that. I think that was um, really insightful. So let's actually, let's jump to dance. Cause you talked, you talked about dance a lot. How did you first get into dance? You know, was it something you did as a kid? Was it just like some music came on? You just started hitting the running man. Yeah. They're like, put her, in, put her in dance, put her in dance. We got to do it. How did that come about? Um, so it's funny though. I was put in dance because like dancing ran in my family. So I do think like whatever sport you get into and like uh, extracurricular activities, it is really based on your family because at a young mm -hmm. age, they're the ones who sign you up for that. And so it sometimes I can be detrimental because they're pushing that their dreams on you. Mm -hmm. But like, so my grandma, she used to be a ballerina. She would like, she did point and like everything like that. Um, and then she got sick. So her career ended. She really didn't get to fulfill it. So she always wanted a grandkid to like, dance so mm. she, you know or a kid of hers to dance well not not a, not my mom she didn't dance my aunt she can dance but she was more like into modeling and stuff and then like mm. my uncle was like i'm not gonna dance like i want to do sports so right. when i was the first grandchild so they were like oh yeah she's gonna be a ballerina my grandma's like bet watch this so like she put me in it and like I loved it. I mean, they gave me the opportunity to try different things, but I eventually found the love for it, which I'm very fortunate for. Like that mm -hmm. they were open to me exploring other things and me, you know, and then eventually you have to pick, you know, you can't do a hundred thousand things because you're in school and stuff like that. So um yeah, I ended up picking that. I think what really attracted me to that is that I had a really bad home life. So that was like my escape from reality. Like my dance teacher, uh, she would always say, when you come in here, it's about dance. Everything else, leave that at the door. And that just really resonated with me because I had so much going on at home that I could just, like, escape. So for me, it was just such a great outlet, positive space. We were very close. That was, like, my family. Like, you know, I was really close to them. So, like, they were, like, that was honestly part of the reason why I turned out pretty decent even though I had a bad childhood because I had a positive space and I had other positive adults in my life and positive people. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what got me into dance. And that's kind of what made me want to stay with dance because I kind of wanted to give that to somebody else, you know, give that mm -hmm. back, be that right. individual, like individual that a student comes in, they're having a rough day. They, they know they can talk to me. They know I'm a positive, like good adult in their life that they can speak to and stuff like that. So that's kind of what kept me in the dance. I really just got started because my parents were like, all right, let's try this out. See if put you her, can do put it. Her in dance. <laughs> put in dance. My grandma's yeah. like, I'm going to have a dancer. Like, yeah. one of you has to dance. And then I was me. Right. So. <laughs> that, that's interesting because uh, I was an athlete in college. You know that. But I played football competitively for years and coached football. And that's kind of how I got into it, you know brother played football, other brother played football, dads played football. So like family does play a big role in some of the things you get into. Um, but I think through those, even the things that are pushed on us, we find like our true passion. So through football, I was able to find the actual passion. My actual passion was actually um, educating people. You know, mm -hmm. I loved coaching football and I loved learning about the little, you know, nuances of the game, but breaking them down. So I learned that's kind of, that was kind of my thing that kind of lead me into what I do now. Um, so you talked about, you know, students and you teach dance and things like that. 
tell me a little bit about your experiences there. You, what, what, do you, what are some ups and downs of doing that? Because uh, me being a former teacher and actually what I do now is actually instructional design for, for companies. So I do, I've been on the teaching end and it's a unique experience no matter if you're dealing with small children or adults. So talk to me a little bit about your experience there. Cool. Well, you understand it is, listen, if you go in the educational field, it is not for the money. It's because you love those kids. And I truly do love my kids. I mean, I treat them as if they're my own and stuff like that. And um, I do. I love them. And I just, I don't know. I just feel like I always had like a, a knack for kids and stuff like that. And I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges that I have is like, especially with dance. So I believe right now we are the generation that's going to transform how society is. I think there's, you know, it's going to sound kind of morbid, but like the older generation's dying. There's new ways of thinking. Like, you know, mm-hmm. this is when I think everything is changing. It's going to be like a revolution in thinking and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it is very hard because I look back, especially with dance, like, there was a lot of like things that aren't okay. Like when I hear people, like I've had my own students tell me things like crazy stuff. The teacher said to them, put phone books on their legs and make sure their legs go down or, mm. you know, scream at them and stuff like that. And I'm like, especially with ballet, ballet is so strict and it's been here for so long, but it's like, when I was dancing, I did not like that. And right. it's almost like to a point where it's, mental and verbal abuse it, it really is it, to some point and sometimes physical you know some teachers are doing they're just doing too much and for me like I'm all about mental health I want to make sure my kids are good I want them to come to my class feeling good knowing they're in a safe space so that they can fully be themselves try new you know tricks skills different dance styles and feel comfortable that people aren't judging them And, you know, and then the whole thing with body image, you know, like, that's a whole nother thing, too. I mean, what profession has you wear, like, very tight clothing and stare yourself in the mirror for hours and hours and hours a day? Like, Mm -hmm. as a dancer, we're constantly critiquing ourselves and having people critique us. Like, Mm -hmm. so you literally also have to find characters that you have to portray. Sometimes you get, like, break yourself down be a different person and go on stage and then kind of, you know, find yourself. And, you know, that's just, that's hard. Like it's a very um, environment for these, you know, eating disorders and, um, you know, mental illnesses and um, just abuse. It it is very easy for that to happen. So it's like, that's definitely my biggest challenge right now because like, you know, they're like, Oh, this is very strict and strict. I'm like, but I'm not like that because I don't, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. Why can't we change it? Right. Like, you know what I mean? So I think that's my biggest issue right now is like some, some people just don't agree with like how I teach and stuff like that. They think I'm too lenient or I'm too easy on them. But I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm not screaming at my kids. Like right. there, there was actually um, something that I learned while coaching, actually teaching as well is that when you actually yell at somebody, you're actually accessing the emotional part of their brain. So they actually cannot process information as well when you're screaming at them or when emotion is involved. Because when you yell at somebody, you're now, um, in a sense, activating their emotions. You're activating, they're scared or they're upset. You're activating some type of emotion. When emotion is involved, 
Um, it's harder for people to process information. As teachers, that's our number one thing. We're trying to get you to understand a concept, an action, something like that. So when you do something wrong or you don't do that motion, that action, that play, whatever you want to call it right, we need to be, we need you to be able to process information. A lot of people, and I think the older train of thinking, especially dance, sports, is to immediately yell and scream and sometimes degrade. Yes. But that is the exact opposite of what you should do. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in football, is a little bit of it. We understand that with football coaches, they may talk out an elevated voice because of the environment. It's a violent environment. So you may, you know, there's things that happen, but the, the screaming and the yelling and degrading doesn't get the information across. And I think that's what, what exactly you're saying here. You said screaming and yelling or calling them names or whatever you want to do is not getting them to process the information we need in the process in order for them to complete what we're trying to get them to complete, to put it in a very technical sense. So I definitely get that. So you, you talked about eating disorders and some of the things that dancers struggle with. Did you ever struggle with some of those coming up or still struggle with? And how, how do you kind of deal with those things if you do? I mean, for sure. I, I, when I was younger, I definitely had an eating disorder. There was portions of time where like, I just had a very negative relationship with food. Um, because also like, you know, with the beauty standards and stuff like that, they're just very unrealistic. Mm-hmm. And I mean, all women are they're just judged all the time, no matter what they do, no matter how they look like. And it's just like, you know, that's a struggle, you know, and then quarantine happened, you know, mm. everybody got a little bit of quarantine weight. Okay. It happened. Okay. <laughs> we're snacking. So oh, it's yeah. like, you know, if you already have a bad relationship with food and your body image, now you're at home, stuck at home, like mm. going through that process, that was very difficult, you know, but there's different things, different resources you can use. Um, there's tons of really great apps that I found that were, you know, very helpful talking to a friend, talking to a family member. Um, that's all very helpful. Um, but as a child, yeah, I did. And I was always worried about how I looked because, you know, when I went on stage, I was judged on my appearance, how I danced. Like I remember, um, I don't really want to like disclose information because it's personal, but like, I remember one a dancer I knew, mm-hmm. like she competed, and a judge was talking about her body mm. on her t- on the tape, and I'm like, "Why are you talking about like you're a grown man talking about a teenager's body while she's dancing? Why? Mm. You're there to judge her technique, the style yeah. of dance, stuff yeah. like that. Why are you making comments about her body? Why like?" You know what I mean? And it's just like, and as it's progressed, I feel like, you know, you now need way more qualifications to be a dance teacher, which I'm like, thank God, because, you know, why are you even doing that? Like, it's crazy. So that's, yeah, that's really wild to me that, you know, if you're at a dance competition, you should be judging the dance, not the end of, not the statue of the person, of the person. But the other thing that kind of like stuck out to me was like the body images stuff. Um, and I do think that's a big thing, especially like now we're starting to see a change where you see it on social media and you see it on site where people are like really pushing like, look, body positivity needs to be a thing. We need to be able to accept each other for the way we, I like to say the way we come out the box. 
Um, mm-hmm. we, we need to be able to accept each other um, for those type of things. And I think with women, especially being International Women's Month, you know, that's something big, not only for dancers, but for any type of woman, because I can remember like, if we shift five, even 10 years back, probably for the length of time, but really where there was a, a crazy craze on social media when it first started to become big of just women that looked a certain way. And, and if I'm being honest, it would be skinnier women, which again, however you are is however you are, but it was just like every image looked the same. You even see it today. Um, I think you see more of the thicker variety of women and things like that now, but it's like photocopy is what I'm trying to say. And then mm-hmm. used to build an image in young girls' minds and adult women's minds, you know, things like that. Um, and I just think that's just so negative. My true thing on body image, because I've actually talked about that, at least for males on the male side, because males struggle with this too. I'm not trying to- Oh, for sure, yes. You know, we think we have to have the biggest biceps or for if we're six foot five, we have to be six foot five, which is something we can't control. But for some reason, that is important to every woman I meet. <laughs> I'm a single man. It's like, oh, what? how tall are you? Don't you want to know what my- <laughs> Don't you want to know what my passions and my dreams are first? Why are we talking about that? Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. Just, why does it matter? But again, <laughs> I, I think a lot of people struggle with those type of things. And it's important that we just get to a place where we accept each other. Now, I always say it's good to accept somebody's, you know, how they are. And really on top of that, you know, motivate people to be healthy. You know, because people can be healthy and be different sizes. And that's what I try to kind of get at with talking to some people. Some people are like, well, if they're that big, they're not healthy. Not necessarily true. I played with a lot of big dudes who worked out all the time and ate great. They're just still big because that's how they are. You know? Genetics, it's, you know. <laughs> genetics is, plays a giant role. Genetics plays a role in why I'm short. I'm short and I'm fine. But anyways, <laughs> like it, I can't change my height. And some things you just can't change about yourself. Um, and we need to just come to terms with that. Um, so we, we talked about dance a little bit and you kind of you talked about creating that safe space for your your, your students and you probably deal with students from all different you know realms of life from you know um, colored students to students that live in high income areas low income areas talk to me a little bit about that dynamic and how you kind of balance on the classroom because I know for something with with what I do even with teaching adults I still have to balance that you know we have people that walk into training that you know, I could tell they live in rural areas. You know, they talk about farms and things like that, and that's great. But I could also tell people who've worked in corporate America who come in the first day of training with like a suit. And it's just two different realms of thought. So how do you kind of balance that in your classroom? How do you create that safe space? Because that's another thing that we really need to do in today's age. Um, honestly, I think it's as simple as communication. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will, I've told many of my kids like, especially because I work, you know, some of my kids are teenagers, especially going through like with their school and everything going on when you're a teenager. Like I, I tell them, if, you know, if you need to check in with me, like, let me know mm. if you're having a bad day, let me know, mm. you know, Miss Lena, I, I'm having an off day. I really don't want any corrections today. Just, I'm just trying to get through this class. Mm. All right, cool. And then I know, you know what I mean? I think it's just communication and just knowing your kids. Like, and I think too, having that commute, that relationship with the parents, because if I know my parents, I, I know what their values are and I'm going to take consideration of what they also, you know, and be respectful of what their values are and their morals and stuff like that. Also in my classroom, 
while also meeting that middle ground of my my morals and how I feel and how I want my classroom to be run. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just always it's honestly communication and it's it's research. Like, you know, I'm like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, for example, like one of my one of the little girls that um I teach, she's bilingual. She speaks Spanish and English. So like sometimes like you know, I got to learn words to say to her in Spanish because when she's in that escalated state and she's crying or whatever, you know, me saying like, you know, like, escúchame, escúchame, like, listen to me, you know, her head snaps when she looks at me because that's her mom, you know, English is in her first language. She speaks Spanish. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, me just doing those small little things to make sure we have, you know, she feels comfortable because, that's what she's used to at home she's used to speaking spanish so like just those type of things like get you know just doing research your you know your child speaks a different language learn about that your they have a certain religion learn about their religion learn about that culture like be aware like you know what i mean um okay. i just i feel like that's just how you figure out every and just because it's i don't like the fact of like they just make it like an overall, like, okay, this is how every kid has to be treated. This is how every kid needs to learn. You, you can't do that. Every kid learns differently, you know, and you have to be able to adapt to that child. And I'm always very big on that. Like, I always want to make sure I'm doing what I need to do for that kid individually, not, okay, class, we're all going to do this activity. And if, ha- if half of you fail, I don't know what to tell you. Mm-hmm. Sucks to suck. Like, no, my job is to help them. Like, right. so. I, I, that's very big is individualizing your approach for every student, which I don't think there's enough of. Um, There's not enough of either. And a lot of times I I think the reason why that's done is because you get a little bit of the corporate America in classrooms where you only got this much time to teach students this, or this is how we've been teaching you to do it, you know, since you started in the education, you know, there's always been kind of that, you know, push for, if you do one thing, one size fits all, but we all know that's not how it works. You know, mm-hmm. we're all different people. We all need different things. And I think that the big thing you said is research. You know, that takes effort from teachers to research and also understand who's coming into the space and that's how you create it. So that's that's a big thing that I got from there is that you got to understand who's coming into this space in order to make it a safe space for everybody. Because you can create a safe space for Johnny, Julie, whoever, but Tom over there is like, I don't feel comfortable. And I've actually, you know, I've worked at, I worked at summer camps with kids. I've worked at, you know, worked in schools and short story, I worked at a summer camp where most of my campers were predominantly from low income neighborhoods and predominantly African-American to be straightforward. And in the cabin one year, I had one white, white camper, which was fine. He got along, but at time, he did come to me the second day is like, I don't really feel like I belong in this cabin. I don't feel like I belong with this group of people. And that's when I realized what you exactly were saying. I have to make this a space that every kid has to feel comfortable in. Um, and we can also do this with our adult lives. You know, if you're creating a company or if you run a business or if you just have a friend group, you know, every friend should feel comfortable in this space. You shouldn't just make it like, oh, and you know, Sean, Selena, whoever else is hanging out, you know, that third person just feels like the third wheel. No, it needs to be a space. There needs to be a place for everybody. You know, if you're going to sit here and say like, this is a space for everybody, you need to go through and put through the effort to make it a space for everybody. So I I think that's a big thing. Um, And I think we could do a better job of that in America, making America a space 
for everybody, you know, because recently over the last year, kind of transition here, we dealt with the Black Lives Matter, you know, things with immigration, just in COVID, in COVID itself, you know, kind of put a crazy loop on that. Um, but over the last year, you know, Black Lives Matter has been really out there about pushing um, equality for people of color, you know, not only just African Americans, but people of Latino, um, any type of any type of people of color. Um, talk to me a little bit about over the last year, how has that exactly changed the way you view the world, if it has changed the way you view the world, and um, and talk about that a little bit. Um, yeah, so this is a very big issue that I'm very, very passionate about mm -hmm. um, because I've seen it. You know, the black kid in the class is acting up, being bad, and they just stereotype him. But you all know at home, you know, something's going on at home and that they're acting out. They need help. Right. Kids don't know how to use their words for those big of emotions. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, so when they're acting out, it's because they're asking for help. And like, I remember, so I worked at a special needs school mm -hmm. and predominantly our kids are all black males. They are, um, unfortunately, but it is what it is. You know, um, they all have really bad childhoods and stuff like that. And, um, I just remember like, you know, it's the balance of like giving them what they need, but also setting boundaries. And like, that's why I eventually left that company because it's like I understand we want to like you know take care of them make sure they're okay blah, blah 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 but also like this is the real world they can't be going out there acting like this because right. you know black especially black boys are getting shot by police officers mm -hmm. like and I don't think that's right I don't think that black people should be held to a higher standard just because they're a different color skin and right. stuff like that but, you know, unfortunately right now, I want my, my job is to keep my kids safe. Right. I'm not having my kid in here and they're throwing, you know, because I worked with kids who had like um, behavioral issues. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, they had trauma. They'd be throwing chairs at me, punching me. I, I've been stabbed, all that stuff. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, I understand why you're doing that because I know your story. Mm -hmm. But if you go out there and you do that in the streets, yeah. like, you may not you can't mm-hmm yeah and that's a hard reality especially as an educator like I see these kids and I I understand and you know I I feel what they're coming what they're what they're coming from with like you know mm -hmm. with having like that um you know crappy childhood crappy like home obviously I don't fully understand because I'm white they're black you know I'll never understand that um because um you know it's just it's different for them um but that's, you know, eventually I had to leave the company because I was like, listen, like, you're just setting these kids up for failure. Like, right. they have to, you know what I mean? Like, I understand how they act because they don't know better, but it's like, they have to learn from that. Yeah. You can't just be like, you know what, I, I, I don't feel like dealing with them. So, you know what, here, just eat a cracker. Mm -hmm. Here's a snack. I'm like, yeah. uh, no, no, ma'am, they just threw a chair at me. Right. Like, don't <laughs> they got to learn that don't allow the behavior to happen basically what you're talking about is the equivalent and i could tell you from my sitting down it's the equivalent of what black parents have which is the talk with their young black um, boys is that you may act a certain way but when you're out there you have to be extra chris you have to be extra 
basically you have to follow the law twice is how my dad put it uh-huh because they're going to look at you as an immediate threat and what one person does that may not look like you and what you do if you do the same thing there's a possibility that you don't get to come home and, and i can i can definitely resonate with that trying to get the students to understand that hey you know this type of behavior is not going to be acceptable out there um because of how you look. And unfortunately, this is the country we, we live in. Now, hopefully it changes over time. Hopefully we're on the right track there. But I could definitely understand. Because some people may listen to you and be like, yo, how could this, this white girl tell, you know, these black kids that, you know, they should act a certain way. But it, it's not a, I'm, and I'm serious. It's, yeah, no, but which is understandable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'll, which I'll never fully understand. But like, mm-hmm. I still want to make sure, like, that's my job. Make sure my kids are safe. And I set them up for success. Right. not failure like no that's exactly right and, and i agree with you that's so when i coached for well, one of the things i always told my guys is that my job is to make sure one i keep you safe and two i set you up in the best way possible to be great all the other stuff about you liking me or this i throw that out the window those are my two main goals I, if you if you leave this team and you hate my guts but you are a successful member of society you know how to keep yourself safe and i, I i'm good you could you could never call me again, but I'm good if you're able to leave and you got those two things. You're able to be set up for success. Um, you know, it, it also being like seeing how the Black Lives Matter and things like that personally. You know, I you know one of those kids. The other end of you talked about a little bit how some African American students don't know how to emotionally express you know what they go through at home. That's a real thing, and it doesn't just come in the form of poverty. It doesn't just come in the form of like I live in um you know a high violence neighborhood it also comes in the form of you know giving people a little bit of insight sometimes black parenting you know you could be a middle middle class um person but because of how some of the trauma that you deal with as a kid and some of the trauma that your parents did with that gets leaned down from you because my dad talks about the time you know some of the things that he's been through as a kid and how he was just racially profiled by the cops you know that is instilled in me and so you see that leak out from the child, not saying it's my dad's fault, but it, that's just, it's a generational thing. And I think that's what people sometimes don't understand about that whole situation. You know, um, the other end of that, where I was trying to get to is that what happens when is the, it's the black boy, he's the only one in the class and he's smart. You ever seen that reaction? It's like, wait, you're, you're good at this? You're, wait, you, you, wait, you, you like technology? Wait, you, you're good at different things like STEM, science, technology, educational? It's like a it's like a shock factor. It's like, yeah. Um, when it's crazy how people react when they start seeing people of color, you know, in different fields and industries. Um, and the same thing in the classrooms, you know, you sometimes deal with that. And, you know, black kids aren't really, how should I put this, pushed to be, you know, excel in those type of things. So I, I just think all all that's important. Um Let's talk about COVID a little bit, and I, as much as I hate COVID, and you don't have to say it, you don't have to, I know, I know where we're going with this, but um, um, you had COVID. Um, can you? Oh. How did that experience go? Because a lot of people, there's still people rolling around out here acting like COVID's not a big deal, or I can't catch it, and not none of that. But talk to me a little bit about your experience there, because you had the quarantine, right? Um. So. I found out there's a difference between quarantining and isolation. Okay. Um, isolation is when you have to be away from people because you are positive. Okay. Quarantine 
So you're possibly exposed. So you quarantine just to be safe. Okay. Um, so when you are positive, though, you have to isolate for so many days and then you can go back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just crazy because like, I'm very, I live with my grandma. So she's very high risk. Mm-hmm. So I always wear my mask. I'm very careful. Like, you know, um, when I found out about the exposure, at my job, mm-hmm. you know, they said like, I feel like you wouldn't be able to get a slam because all you do, you always wear a mask. Yeah. Like I always wear a mask. And they're like, so I think you'll be fine. And here I got, I got it. So it's like, I wear my mask all the time. I'm super careful, mm-hmm. sanitize everything. Like I'm super careful mm-hmm. and I still got it. And it's just crazy that I got it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, doesn't make sense, but that's, I mean, COVID really doesn't make sense in general. Like it's just correct, a crazy correct. thing, but that really like hit me. Like I'm doing every precaution and I still got it. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate that. I didn't have any symptoms. Mm. I was not sick. I was like a little bit tired, but I think that was just because I was like stressed out about, you know, not working and stuff like that. Yeah. But you know, that was because I got a mild, that was because I got a mild strain of it. Mm-hmm. You know, the next person, you know, next time I could get a really bad strain and then be in the hospital. You and know grandma, what I mean? Grandma's good, right? She didn't care. Oh yeah. She's, she's good. Yeah. I was wearing my mask inside the house because I was yeah. in play. Yeah. <laughs> so luckily she did not get it. She's fine. Um, yeah, but I was just so careful that, like, no one in my house got it. You know, mm-hmm. my mom didn't get it. My sister didn't get it because, you know, I am very careful because I would feel horrible if I gave it to somebody because, unfortunately, COVID's very unpredictable. You know, someone who's the same age as me, same height, weight, na- nationality, everything, yeah. they could get the same strain as me and die from it right. because, it's, you know, our bodies react to it differently. You know, um, my aunt's a nurse, so she tells me she's like, I'm like, do you work for the CDC? Because how do you know this stuff? Yeah, she she got to connect. She's like, yeah, Yeah. talk to my connect the CDC. This is what they said. Okay, here we go. Yeah, so, I mean, it just opened my eyes. And, like, I was all about, like, I'm not getting this vaccine. I'm not. I I was the first one to be like, I'm not getting this. Mm. But I am getting it because it's not even for me. It's for anyone around me. Like, Mm. if I would have given it to my grandma, she probably would have died from it. And that was a big, I was like, oh my, like, you know, that's a big eye opener. Like, you know, that would have been horrible if I would, I would have felt so horrible if that happened to her. You know what I mean? So like, I want to get the vaccine to protect other people, not myself. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, for myself, obviously I want to make sure I'm cool too, right. but mostly for, you know, other people, because not everyone's as fortunate as I was, mm-hmm. you know, I was very fortunate. I had no symptoms. I mean, I was, I was just chilling. Like, right. like, oh, okay. <laughs> like oh, this is like a, this is like a mini vacation for me. I'm just right. going to sit here. I was doing my taxes. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, let me see my refund looks like I got the time. <laughs> uh, oh man. I, I don't even have a refund. I owe like 3000. It's bad. <laughs> taxes are so jacked up. Let's not even talk about that. Uh, but you, um, I'm sorry. Yeah. You talked about getting the vaccine for other people. So I've been vocal on my show about my uneasiness about the vaccine, about the speed of it, about how they wrote it out, how they, you know, released it for emergency provisions. And I'm just like, this doesn't sit right with me. But what you said, like, is exactly kind of my thought process, why I've actually changed my thoughts on it is that it's not really for me. And, you know, me and my dad have this conversation all the time because I'm very close to my parents and I'm around them all the time. And it's really for them because they're both at risk. My dad 
diabetes. My mom has asthma. So these are two people that, and they're over the age of 65. These are two people that if I gave them COVID just because of my own superstitions or things like that, I would, I wouldn't know how to live with myself. You know, that mm-hmm. would be something that I, I just wouldn't be able to live with. So I can totally understand that thought process. Now I didn't necessarily get exposed or get COVID, but it was even before that hearing other people and your story kind of puts another stamp on it that, you know, it'd probably be in my best decision to get the, get the vaccine. And the way I thought about, I was talking to my friend about this, and this is kind of a crazy way to think about it, but stick with me, is that you think about all the other stuff we put in our bodies, the processed foods, the, the, all the other crazy stuff that we put in our body. Yep. I said, if the COVID vaccination takes me out, then it's just, it was just time for me. You know, it, are mm-hmm. we really scared of something that they're giving to millions and millions of people? Yes, I may feel a little uneasy because we're younger. We don't know what it's going to look like later for us. But at some point, you got to live in the present here and worry about the people that are still here and try to do everything you can to keep them here is what I say. So I, can, mm-hmm. I could definitely understand that. Now, you, when you had it, you had to, you talked about you wore the mask in the house. Did you mostly stay in like a singletary room in the house for most of the time? So it was kind of a little bit like isolation, but not totally. How did that work? Yeah. So let me explain a little bit more. So I was exposed on a Saturday mm-hmm. and like possibly exposed. I didn't really know if I was or not. And so, you know, I was in the house, but like I wore my mask in the house because I was like, I was possibly exposed. I want to be safe. So like I wore my mask when I was around the house. Then on Sunday, I, I received a formal like you know, communication from my job that they were actually going to shut down their facility Mm. so they could clean it and everything. And that there was actually a lot of cases that people had. It was more than we thought. So I was like, Oh, okay. I already was scheduling to get tested on Monday anyway. So that's good. Like I'm going to get tested. Mm. So, um, I just put myself into quarantine because I was like, there's already a high risk of me possibly having it. So I put myself in quarantine and stuff before mm-hmm. I even got my test back. You know, I got my test done on Monday. I didn't get my results until Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was in quarantine for a good few days without a letter yeah. from the CDC because they do. They send you a letter like you need to stay in your house for 10 days. You yeah. know, for a letter literally says, like, if you're not listening, if you're not doing that, we have every right to take you and put you and supervise you in a facility. Oh, wow. yep. Like, I'm like, ah. So, yeah, yeah they're gonna come and get me if I don't stay in the crib. I'll, yeah, I'll stay like, here. You know, this is my facility. They, they, they say it pretty professionally, but that's yeah. basically what they're saying. Like, we're gonna come get you and you're gonna sit here. We're gonna watch you. We're gonna babysit you if you're not listening. So, like that, I was like, oh, okay. I said, dang. <laughs> yeah. So, I was like, oh, okay. All right. Definitely. I mean, I was gonna do it regardless, but like, and it's just crazy. Then they have that app. So, like, if you have it, you put in this code. So then if you're around people, it'll tell you. And I'm like, you know, if I definitely have that on my app and then I leave, they'll know, they'll see me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, see Somebody will be sitting in Washington, D.C. go, beep, 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 she left uh-huh. the house. Send a yep. swap team for you. <laughs> I'm like, uh-huh. it'll be like the, I, I just kept thinking of like Monsters Eat. Yeah. Uh, Monsters <laughs> when they have like, so, I'm like, oh God. Yeah, when the gonna... guy with the sock, yeah, that, that's just going to be you. <laughs> like, oh no. So, uh. Yeah, I was just, I mean, I did it because obviously I had to, like, mm-hmm. regardless, but I also did it because, like, it's the, that's the right thing to do. I'm not going to be an idiot and go and spread this disease that could possibly kill people. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. like, that's just, like, that's blood on my hands that I don't want. Like, what the heck? Right. Like, you know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, man, that was, 
I never thought I would get it. I really didn't. I knew it was real. I really thought I, I it is real. You know what I mean? But you know, some people are like, I think it's made up, blah, 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 blah. But like, I always took it seriously. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that was just a really big eye opener to like, I got it. I never thought I was going to get it, but. Right. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people think that way. They're not, they're not going to get it or they're not going to be exposed. Uh, I always try to operate as in I could get it. You know, I still, the most of what I work from home right now, so it works out. Uh, but I also, I do choose still to go to the gym um, for my physical and mental health. We talked about that a lot. That's been something that kind of been able to help me through COVID. I've been able to still exercise. Um, but even when I'm in the gym, like right now, there's people in there really lax with their mask. My mask doesn't come off unless I'm like on a machine or unless I really need to take it off. Like if I'm around anybody, it's on. And it's just, I think that's just best case practice. But kind of moving to the end here and we talked about COVID, we talked about what you do now. I, I kind of want to talk to you about, you know, what do you think it's, what do you, what are you looking forward to? What's next for Selena? Because you just talked about a lot of things. You've been through a lot of things in, in your in your life, basically. And just over the past year, I think we all been through some things. But what do you think is next? You talked about breaking boundaries, starting business. What are some of your some of the things that you look forward to in the future that you um, want to do? And you know, maybe I, I think your story would inspire. You know, hopefully, other women listen to this podcast and just what they would can inspire to do in the future. Hmm. Um. Yeah. I mean, I'm very excited that you know. I will be the studio manager and I actually, um, the studio is a, um, a Seton Hill alum. So I got this connection through knowing her from Seton Hill. She found out it was happening. She had like an open house. I just showed up and Mm -hmm. she's like, Hey, I'm here to support you. Like, I'm very proud of you, blah, blah, blah. And then they just asked me on board and then liked my performance and then, um, proposed this job to me. And of course I'm going to hit, course i'm gonna take it because uh it's my that's my dream you know it's my dream job like to be a manager of a studio and you know be able to put my artwork out there Mm -hmm. and you know work with these kids and just see them grow as a person and as a dancer and um i'm very excited to see where it goes um and just see you know i'm being able to be the manager because we have a second location coming now So, you know, eventually there's endless possibilities, you know, we could be a franchise and go all over the, all over the country and Mm -hmm. I can move and travel. And next year I'll be traveling to both locations and traveling to like competitions. Like we're going to Florida in September for our conference. So I'm just very excited for that portion. Um, And then at the daycare, um, well, childcare is proper term, my bad, but, um, there you know um i started as just a teacher and then they just liked my performance and then i became the lead teacher i'm a supervisor of all the teachers so that's you know bit, you know like I'm, I'm making sure all these teachers know what they're doing yeah. talking to them stuff like that and i'm very excited because it's a black owned business and i i always wanted to i try to always work for black owned business small businesses mm-hmm. and it's a black woman owned business and that was something I really, I was like, yes. <laughs> and, you know, I just admire her because she's so, she is so successful. I mean, she has multiple businesses and it's like how we talked about, like, she's a black woman and for her to be that successful, like she had to be on her P's and Q's. I mean, that's not how it should be, but she, she obviously knows her stuff. Right. And it's like, you know, she, I'm going to learn a lot from her just like 
just life. Like she's going to teach me so much. And it's just a learning experience in that even, you know, my job pays good. I have a good job, but also opportunities with that. Like I can travel with that, you know, she's businesses in Philadelphia. I told her, I love Philadelphia. I would move there in a heartbeat. <laughs> so like, there's always like, which people are like, you're crazy. Why would you want to move to Philly? I'm like, I love Philly. Whatever. Philly, call me crazy. I do. like. I, I like Philly as well. Not a, it's not a bad place. It gets a bad rep, but it's just, it's just the Eagle fans. That's all. Oh yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I'll be wearing all my Steelers gear, but uh, yeah. yeah. So there's just, it really is like about the opportunities and growing. And I have that with both of my jobs right now. You know what I mean? Like I just feel so fortunate, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm looking very, I'm just very happy to see what haps, happens this year. I'm trying to buy a house. Mm-hmm. So hopefully you'll be seeing on Instagram, new keys, who this? Yeah, like, who did? <laughs> house, like don't forget us. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited for this year. I think it, I think this is going to be my year. And like next year, I think this is like, you know, I'm just excited. So that's amazing. You know what? And, and I really hope you nothing but prosperous su- success. You know, I'll, I'll be following your story. Um, and please let me know um, if there's any way that I could support you. Because um, again, I think what you're doing is amazing, especially because I didn't know, I didn't know all this until we started sitting down talking. I'm like, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm always big into supporting people that are trying to in a sense, change things because you know, you all are changing lives if you ever because I know when you're in the teacher role, when you're you know, teaching dance, sometimes those days get really frustrating, sometimes those days are harder than most. Um, but I, I want you to feel confident, and really, I'll be the first one, I'll be one of the ones to say, keep doing what you're doing because we need more people, you know, we need more people like that, we need people to influence our young people. So, thank you for doing that. I want to say that. Um, and thank you for coming on the show, I, I appreciate it. Um, and, um, you know, so for all my listeners, again, this is Selena. Um, I will also I'll tag you and everything as well um, when I post it. Yeah. What's up, guys? Hopefully you enjoyed the interview. Again, just a, just an overall, just really, really interesting conversation. Um a lot of things, you know, she we talked about a range of things there from the value of friends to how she got into dance. Um, some things that you maybe didn't know teachers went through um, struggling with de- eating disorder, just all types of things. And if if any of you are listening about the three things that she said that you should tell younger women, pursue your goals, keep your peace and don't let anyone tell you you can't do it. Uh, you should write those things down and give that advice to any young woman, you know, or anybody, because that's just those are just solid things so guys thanks once again for listening i appreciate you guys if no one's told you today i love you guys take care of yourselves and like i always say keep talking